Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone, this is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is February 26, 2011. If you would like me to create a Bible study addressing a desired topic, then please email me at kennard at mercifulservantsofgod.com with your request. Also, please let us know what your needs are so that we can pray with you to God, um, whether this is biblical knowledge, uh, which you can get each and every week here on our program, or uh, biblical knowledge that's customized towards your specific needs, uh, career counseling, marriage counseling, uh, if you need food. We can pray uh, to God to provide you food, a job, debt relief, healing from sickness, clothes, shelter, uh, more vocational or job training education that will help you generate more money. Feel free to email us at canard at mercifulservantsofgod.com with your needs. Uh, before I get into the topic of this Bible study, which is uh, what is circumcision uh, according to the Bible, uh, I must, if you haven't heard already, <clears throat> uh, the, the, the White House, uh, the Obama administration is... Uh, well, let me just go ahead and read what uh, the latest email I got from Focus of the Family states here. It says, uh, Dear friend, earlier this week the Department of Justice announced that they will no longer defend the Defense of Marriage Act against the lawsuits that are currently challenging the 1996 law. The Defense, or the DOMA, currently defines and protects marriage as the union of a man and a woman in federal law and is under challenge in four federal courts. Because of the administration's decision, the Obama administration, I'm adding, to uh, abandon the defense of, of, of the law of the land, it may now be up to the new Congress to ensure that marriage is defended from redefinition. This startling announcement makes clear why we cannot rest on the assumption that our elected officials will work to protect the family and family values for future generations. The White House and Senate are still controlled by those who would leave marriage unprotected, despite the fact that countless studies confirm what we already know from Scripture, that children do better on every measure of well-being when raised by their married mother and father. And let me add, how can... I've went over this over and over again in in, in, uh, uh, various programs, but how can a child properly obey the Fifth Commandment, which is honor your father and mother, if he has two fathers or two mothers? Okay, so... Look, you know, our leadership right now, unfortunately, is showing that they don't have common sense in in basic areas, and that's unfortunate. But that doesn't mean that you have to follow them. 
And this unfortunate ruling by the Obama administration is going to really cause more problems to happen in this country. Uh, not not by me, by God. God says whenever you break his law, you get cursed. And when you think about it, clearly think about it, when you are in favor of homosexuality, what you are in favor of is the destruction of mankind. Because you are a human being is only created through a male sperm and a female ovum or egg. We are all a combination of that. There's no way naturally that two sperms and two eggs can create a human being. So that's the logic that many of our leaders today in this country and around the world are lacking, in particular in the western part of the world. So I'm going to leave it at that, and I just needed to, that's a major, major um thing that's happening right now. Of course, Egypt uh, and the Middle East, North Africa specifically, is is really in revolt right now, and it's going to cause a lot of uh, problems, not only in that area in the Middle East, but around the world. Uh, So you should continue to watch, as Jesus Christ told us to, Luke 21, verse 36, watch that you may be accounted to, worthy to escape uh, all the things that are going to come upon the earth shortly not predicting dates but uh, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand that we are living in perilous times and that we need to uh, prepare for those times and uh, I think the next program is going to be on that topic again I've I've given several programs on this but um, the way things are going right now I think I need to give another one on how to be prepared here first spiritually and then physically uh, for the terrible things that are about to happen here in the future. The the number one thing that's going to happen, of course, um, what really provokes us to really obey God is when he takes away the ability for us to take care of ourselves. In other words, to stay abreast, which uh, Isaiah chapter 3 is a good prophecy to study now uh, because it's happening right before our eyes. He takes away to stay abreast the ability to be able to support yourself, and that's what's going on right now in the Middle East. First of all, it affects the poorer countries, and then eventually it affects the richer countries. And right now, as I'm speaking, people are uh, respectfully uh, protesting in the state of Wisconsin at the, at the Capitol building there about having their benefits reduced. That is what's called austerity measures, and they have already begun that in Europe. Now it's starting to trickle over into the United States, and once it starts to do that, things are going to get really, really bad, folks. Forty-two states right now are in bankruptcy. The media, again, is not telling you what you need to know. And you need to go to www.infowars.com. Please listen to me. It's not too many people that uh, I can say I'm one of the, the, the few people on earth that does have a sane mind, and, and, and one of the few people on earth is going to tell you the truth about what's really going on. So you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. Uh, www.infowars.com. www.infowars.com. You need to really, really review that website by Alex Jones, and you need to look at the following videos on YouTube. Uh, The Invisible Empire. The... uh, 
Obama deception. You should look at those videos. Those videos will educate you and let you know what's really going on uh, in this country and what we need to do to collectively change things. So you need to really educate yourself on what's really going on because you're not going to get it from CNN. You're not going to get it from NBC, CBS, Fox. You're not going to get it from any of those sources because they're controlled by the elite, the people that are really running the show. And the people that run the show are the people that have all the money. All right, so I'll talk more about that next week. But anyway, let's get let's get to the, the topic of this Bible study. I had a gentleman call in, and uh, he said, well, how come you didn't talk about Matthew 5, verse 17 and 20? And I didn't get a chance to, to talk about that last week, so I'm going to talk about it this week. Uh, Christ made a direct statement, and this is going to lead into the, the Bible study about circumcision. Uh, in Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20. Let, let's turn there. Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Now, as I explained last week, let me, let me explain this to you because most people don't understand this. The Jews, even back then, felt that God revealed two laws or two Torahs or doctrines, a set of doctrines to Moses. Of course, the written one, which most people are familiar with, and an oral one. One of the major reasons why Christ came to the earth, of course, he came to to die and shed his blood so that the covenant, the new agreement to keep the law was fulfilled. But second of all, he came, or just as important, I should say, he came to show us how to keep the law, and he came to properly interpret the law. The oral law is the Jews' attempt to properly interpret the written law. The controversy that Jesus had with the Pharisees or the rest of the Jews at that particular period of time was not was the, the, the was the controversy of properly interpreting the written law. The way the Jews interpret the written law, they called the oral law, and they still do today. And it was not written down at the time, though it was just orally transmitted. And Jesus had a few issues with some of the oral, not the entire oral law. The oral law again is the inter- the attempted interpretation of the written law. That's what the oral law is. His issues was with the oral law, how they were interpreting the written law. Now, when you understand that, you understand the reason why he gave the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount really is a correction sermon or lecture to show the Jews at that time and us today how to properly understand the main points of the Torah or the Torah, the written Torah. And I'm going to prove that to you here. So look, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And I'm going to read this slowly in the ESV version so that you understand what he's talking about. Because what happens is people use this methodology of reading, which can be not only applied toward religious writings, but also any writing. And they put a preconceived thought in their mind. 
well, Jesus did away with the law. He kept the law uh, for me so I don't have to. And so they are, they, you're already coming with that premise. And when you read this, you're reading based on that paradigm or model. What you need to do to be able to understand what I'm getting ready to tell you is eliminate that paradigm from your mind and just believe what the words I'm going to read to you here. But if you go and say, well, my minister said that the law is done away with, then you're going to try to find anything or any word, any phrase that may justify that, that error in his thinking. And then you won't understand what I'm talking about. So let's clear your mind and, and, and realize that we all can learn something no matter what age we are. And, and just let these words talk to you because all I'm doing is reading these words to you. All right, so Matthew 5, verse 17 says, Do not think. Okay, so first of all, we're not supposed to think what he's getting ready to tell you, okay? <laughs> do not think. It doesn't say think. It says do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, I hope you understand basic English because I do, okay? He states here, do not think. So don't even have it in your mind that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm sure you know what destroy means, to eradicate, to totally remove, okay? He did not come to remove the law. What's the law? Well, traditionally in Judaism, it's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Of course, the Torah is the entire um, Tanakh, Old Testament, and what many are called a New Testament should be called the Renewed Covenant Scriptures. All right, so the Torah really is God's revelation of how we need to live. That's that's what it is, basically, all right? And he says he didn't come to destroy that. Or the prophets, and many people forget, or some people forget, that Moses is a prophet. So not only did he not, he didn't come to destroy uh, the writings of Scripture, neither did he come to destroy any of the prophets, including Moses. But what is taught in traditional Christianity today? The law of Moses is done away with. The law of Moses is done away with. Well, according to the Jesus of the Bible here, he didn't say he came to do that. So what type of Jesus are you following? You need to think about that. But anyway, I have not come to destroy them. He said this two times in the sentence, okay? Um, <laughs> Do not think I have come to abolish the law of prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And people blow this out of proportion when he says fulfill. Now, fulfill does not mean he came to keep the law so you don't have to. That That's what many people think that that scripture means. But it doesn't mean that. And the easy-to-read version really is an outstanding translation of this um, scripture. It states this in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. Don't think that I have come to destroy the law of Moses or the teaching of the prophets. I have come not to destroy their teachings, but to give full meaning to them. Okay, that is what the fulfilled means. He came to give complete meaning to them. Because if you turn to John chapter 7, we're going to turn to another scripture too. 
the people had a problem understanding the law at that time, and still do today. John chapter 7, verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? He didn't create the law. He gave them the law. Okay? Yet none of you keep the law. So the majority of the population there did not keep the law of God. Now, why, why is he saying that? Let me find this scripture here, and then I'm going to quote it to you here. To understand what he's talking about. Okay, let's see. And this is very important for you to understand. All right, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 11. This was after the uh, one of the miracles of changing the, um, what he had fed the, the many people. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 16, verse 11, in the King James Version, I'll read this. Matthew 16, verse 11. How is it that you do not understand that I spoke it not to you concerning the bread that you should be, that, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That, uh, the Pharisees are, are the modern rabbis today, and the Sadducees, um, the carrots are some elements, so they're not exactly the Sadducees, but the Sadducees was a different sect of Judaism. Even back then, Judaism had its different sects, and the major two at that particular time was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16, verse 12, Then understood how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The doctrine of the Pharisees uh, was the oral law. Okay, that was their doctrine. That was their interpretation of the Scriptures. And the Sadducees, they didn't have, they didn't believe in oral law, but, but they had their own, every religion has their own traditions. Catholic Church has their traditions, Protestant Church, all religions had their traditions. And what Christ came also to do was to correct the misinterpretations of the traditions of the Jews. Uh, many of the traditions of the Jews were correct, but there were some major misunderstandings about how to keep a law that he had to come and correct. So that's that's what the Sermon of the Mount was all about. All right, let's let's turn back to Matthew chapter five again. All right, so I'm going to read this pretty uh, quickly here because uh, I'm running out of time already, one hour and ten minutes. Okay, uh, Matthew 5, verse 17 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I'm reading again from the, uh, which version is this again? I keep on getting this mixed up here. English Standard Version of the Bible. All right, um, 
Verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Of course, many people think the Sabbath commandment is one of the least. Well, he says, if it is, then, and you teach others to do the same, not to keep the Sabbath, then uh, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about the the misinterpretation of the oral law that they were trying to teach people. All right? Now, he goes over, let me just go over it. In verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. He's referring to the oral law there. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay? And then verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, lustful intent. Now, see, this is um, this is a law that is written, but also people heard it too. But he says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. So it's not just that, it's also in the mind. And then he says in 31, it, it, it was... It, it was also said, whoever divorces wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to everyone who divorces wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. So what he's doing is explaining, properly interpreting the law, okay, on, on major points here. And then verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not, not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say unto you, okay, so what he's doing is correcting some misinterpretations that they had about the oral law. And then verse 38, you have heard it, it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay? Now this is found in the Torah, written, but obviously there must have been a problem interpreting it. So that's the reason why he's addressing it. But I say unto you, do not resist the one who is evil. But anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also on the left. And if anyone would sue you, so what he's saying here, and many people misinterpret this, that, oh, somebody just needs to beat the crap out. No, he's not saying that. He's saying that try to put up with a person as much as you can. Now, of course, if somebody has a baseball bat and says, oh, I'm going to kill you, you don't sit up there and let them kill you. Of course not. He's saying to, to tolerate somebody as much as possible. Like God tolerates our foolishness. Okay? He tolerates it every day. And if he wanted, he can wipe us out with a thought, but he doesn't do it. He wants us to be the same toward one another. And in verse 43, now this is something that's not in the Bible at all. It says right here, uh, you have heard that it was said, this is definitely an oral law here, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, hate your enemy is nowhere in the Bible. I don't see that uh, that one that phrase together, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's nowhere in the, the Scriptures. But he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, I'm just showing you an example of what he was doing here. He was, uh, whether it was a written law or oral law, there was an interpretation problem. And what he was doing was uh, correcting them and showing them the correct way of understanding the scriptures or the oral law, which was the interpretation of the scriptures. So, and then Matthew 19 Matthew chapter 19, verses 17 and 19. And this is the question that uh, is answered here in the Bible. Actually, in verse 16. 
uh, Matthew 19, verse 16, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to me, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And I'm still reading this in the um, English Standard Version of the Bible. I'll let you know if I break away from it. Anyway, Christ said here, or Messiah said that that's what Christ means. Um, and he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good, and if you would enter life, if you want to have eternal life, you want to live, keep the commandments. And many people say, well, I, you don't gain salvation by keeping Yeah, true, you don't gain salvation by keeping the commandments. We all know that. But God still wants us to keep the commandments. It has something to do with it. Okay, this is a blanket statement here. You can't take an eraser and erase this from the scriptures. It says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. This is what Jesus said. Okay, and many ministers, of course, no, he didn't mean that. He meant his own little set of commandments is different from his father. No, he said, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. Keeping the commandments doesn't earn you eternal life. What it does is prove to God you believe him. Faith must have works, according to Christ's brother. And one guy uh, saying, well, that's his habit. It was his brother, okay? He's more of a brother physically than I am. <laughs> it was Jesus, okay? So James, you know, Christ had part of his brother's physical makeup, same DNA, basically, okay? So the reason why I'm saying that is because, you know, James and Jude's uh, epistles have to be very high up on the top of the list to read because they were... Christ's literal brothers, and they knew him. They lived with him, and they knew him. Okay, so um, I would pay attention to what James is saying here. James chapter 2, if you just read it, I'm not going to read, read it for you, but it, it states that faith must have works. And that's what God's talking about when he says keep the commandments. Those are the works that you, you must have to prove to God that you do trust him. You can't enter the kingdom of God without keeping the commandments, folks. And if a minister's teaching you that, you need to stop listening to that individual. So anyway, verse 18, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, and I'm going to go over this because this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures ever, okay? Uh, you shall not murder. That's the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment. You shall not steal. That's the eighth commandment. You shall not bear false witness. That's the ninth commandment. And honor your father and mother. That's the fifth commandment. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So, those are not, those are not all the commandments, of course. But where is the commandment about not lusting? Again, let me repeat. Where is the commandment about not lusting? Should we, so is Christ telling us that we just keep these commandments and we can lust? Or covet? Okay? Of course not. All right? So people try to use this to say, well, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. Well, I can say to you, we don't have to, we don't have to, we can just lust. We can just take stuff and, and desire bad things. You know, we, we can just go ahead and take people's property. You know, we can just uh, keep on thinking about getting somebody else's stuff and then desire the wrong things. We can do that. So come on, let's use our common sense. Obviously, Christ is just summarizing the commandments. He's just throwing some out there as an example. He's not saying that these are the only commandments. Then, of course, people try to use this one. Uh, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Oh, that's all we need to do is just love people. You know? Well, 
Do you know what the definition of love is? Do you, do you know what the definition of love is? You know, love is, is, is keeping the commandments. Let's, let's go to let's let's, let's go to uh, some basic scriptures here. Romans chapter, uh, I think it's thirteen. Yep, Romans thirteen verse ten. This is a basic definition of love is. Write in your own Bible, okay? Romans 13, verse 10. Romans 13, verse 10 states, Love works no ill to his neighbor. And this is interesting because this definition involves the word neighbor in it, right? Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, colon. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Uh Uh-oh. That's what love is. Plain and simple as that. And when you fulfill the law, you don't hurt your neighbor. That's what he meant by that. That's what he meant by that. Okay? He meant that when you love your neighbor as yourself, and I think there's a there's a scripture in Galatians that states, uh, as far as, let me see if I can find it here, as far as uh, the law is concerned, Well, I'm going to get to that here in a minute, but I think Galatians even better says it's summed up. Okay? So, it's in Galatians somewhere. Uh, see if I can find it. Here we go. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For all the law, and this is what he meant, this is what the Jews mean when they say love your neighbors yourself. The whole law is summed up, and I'm going to show you more scriptures to prove this. How much time I got left? Uh, 59 minutes, okay. Galatians 5, verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word or one phrase, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's not... That's don't that's not the only law we keep and forget everyone else, uh, forget all the other laws. No, he's saying for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay? So or the whole law is made complete in this one command, or is summed up. Alright. So let's go back to Matthew chapter well, I already read that to you as far as that is concerned. Let's look at Matthew chapter twenty two. Uh, there's a parallel scripture here too. Uh, because I know that uh, more ministers than not take that out of context and say those are the only commandments that Jesus told us to keep. Okay, and <laughs> uh, that that's that's being very clever to teach it that way. I think again, uh, Mark chapter ten, verse nineteen, uh, a parallel scripture here it said, "You know his commands." You must not murder anyone. That's the sixth commandment, right? Mark 10, verse 19. You must not commit adultery. That's, uh, which commandment is that? That's the seventh commandment. You must steal. Eight, you must not lie. Nine, you must not cheat. Cheating and stealing is the same thing. You must respect your father and mother. Okay? So he did not address the commandment of lust again in that particular passage of Scripture. I'm reading an easy-to-read version. In the King James, it says, do not commit adultery. 
That's the sixth commandment, do not kill. That's, uh, wait a minute, do not commit adultery. That's the seventh commandment, do not kill. Is the sixth, do not steal. Is the eighth, do not bear false witness. That's um, the uh, ninth commandment, defraud not. It's the same thing, the ninth commandment. And then honor thy father and mother, fifth. So again, where's the lust? He's, he's leaving lust out, coveting. Coveting and lust is the same thing, okay? So where, where is that? Where, where is that? Coveting is, is, a, is a King James way of saying it. It really means lust, the wrong type of lust. Uh, all lust is not wrong. If you lust for God's truth, there's nothing wrong with that. He's talking about the wrong types of lust, in particular, lusting for things that will harm you and others, and also lusting for things that aren't yours. Right, well, that's an example, but you also can lust for people's homes, too that aren't yours, etc. Okay? And also the wrong type of desire is wrong as well. So anyway, um many people have that problem. So anyway, the point I'm trying to say is that that commandment is not there. So are we saying that Jesus is saying that because many people use this to say we don't have to keep the Sabbath, well, we shouldn't we, we, we I guess we can lust too for things that aren't ours or have wrong desires then. That's okay then, because he didn't mention that commandment, right? So we've got to stop uh, reasoning the wrong way, and we have to understand, obviously, what he was doing here was just summarizing uh, some of the commandments. He didn't say that these are the only commandments you need to keep to earn eternal life. And then, of course, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture that was quoted in Matthew chapter 19 is a summation of the all, all the commandments. And let me prove that to you. Going to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God uh, with... And see, let's go back to verse 35. This guy was trying to tempt him, okay? He was trying to be smart, okay? And verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And then verse 27, uh, 37 in Matthew 22, Jesus said to them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. With all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And then verse 38, This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, this is the key scripture that many people read over and don't understand, or they don't want to Recognize it. Verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay? So what that means is that what he just mentioned to you is, is a summary of all the commandments and the law and the prophets, the first five books or the, the, the scriptures and also the prophets. The law and the prophets really is the entire uh, Old Testament hangs on those two commandments. So... Whenever you see love your neighbor as yourself, that doesn't mean, oh, all we need to do is love, that's it. Well, you know, look at Romans 13, verse 10. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It does no ill towards your neighbor. And then in First uh, John, chapter 5, verse 3, this is a scripture you need to memorize. For this is the love of God. If you ever wonder what God's love is, I don't care about someone else's love. I care about God's love, and you should, that we keep his commandments. And for those who think his commandments are grievous, he says, and his commandments are not grievous. And if you ever are part of any organization and you feel that the commandments are grievous, then the minister or whoever you're following is not teaching you correctly about God's commandments. 
Because God's commandments aren't grievous. They're not grievous. Another thing, too, about Jesus, if Jesus broke the commandments, then he would not be the Messiah. Many people don't understand that either. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 13. This is something that will stop people in their tracks and they'll slither off in a little corner because there's no way that Christ could be the Messiah if he taught people to to break God's law. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, it says, and, and, then, and then, of course, he's called that prophet in the Bible, so he was a prophet as well. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, If a prophet or dreamer dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you come to pass, and he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast in him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you lead the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge evil from your midst. So if the Messiah... If you understand the requirements of the Messiah, one of the requirements is that he would speak the Lord's will. Okay? Uh, and I don't think many ministers understand this, but when they teach that the law of Moses has been done away with, when Christ said he did not come to destroy the law of Moses, they're teaching uh, contrary to what Jesus taught. And they're teaching that he was not the Messiah. And that's one of the major reasons why Jews have a difficult time embracing Christianity. Because we teach a different type of Messiah. We teach a Messiah that did away with um, his Father's commandments. He, and sure, there was a lot of miracles done by Jesus, but the miracles don't make a difference if he's teaching people, hey, the law is done away with. And there's nowhere you can find that in the Bible. He did not do that. If you really read the uh, Renewed Covenant Scriptures of the New Testament, if you read those Scriptures, every Scripture, then there's no way on earth you can say honestly and truthfully, if you're honest with yourself, that Jesus taught his disciples or his students that the law of Moses is done away with and you don't have to keep it anymore. He did not teach that. That's a lie. One of the greatest lies on the planet Earth. Uh, John 14, verse 6 again. And I'm going to get into circumcision here because this is... Um, John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. So Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, so he is the example that we must follow. And I've gone over these scriptures in the past two programs, so it would take too much time for me to go over them again. And then John 15, verse 10, I'm not going to read that, but he said, I have kept my Father's commandments, so we need to do the same. Then 1 John 2, verse 6 states that we must walk in his footsteps. Galatians 2, verse 20 says that Christ should be living in you. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, uh, you know, Christ expects us to keep the law of God. Okay? Now, um, if that gentleman is uh, listening to me, 
uh, he had an issue with uh, the fact that, hey, how come in Exodus uh, 31, verse 13 18, when it talks about the Sabbath, and in particular Exodus 35, verse 1 and 2, it talks about if someone doesn't keep the Sabbath, he should be killed. Well, let me show a couple of scriptures here uh, in reference to that, what they did when they killed people. They didn't take it upon themselves to do it. It was done. It was a uh, judicial process. Uh, numbers, because many people don't understand this uh, clearly. And they think God was just a, a ruthless killer. No, he wasn't. I mean, he did things uh, structurally uh, in most cases. Sometimes when the people just really got him angry, he just wiped out people. But, hey, he's God. He has a right to do that. I mean, he created us. He can destroy us at will if he wants to. Um, we don't take it upon ourselves to do that. When he tells us to kill somebody, it's done in a structured way. And this is, I'm going to show you, Numbers. Numbers, this is important because uh, I don't want people getting the wrong idea <laughs> what I'm teaching here. Numbers uh, chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 32. says, while, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. So obviously this was something that he would do normally during the week, and he was violating the Sabbath. Verse 33, and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation. So did they kill them right away? Did they kill him right away? No. They brought him to Moses and Aaron. And what do we do today in our court systems? And, and if somebody, just like this guy, went nuts and, and almost murdered the, uh, the representative. What did they do? Did they kill him? No. Uh, they probably would have killed him if he kept on shooting people, and they would have had to. But they didn't do that. That's a different situation there, and the Bible allows for that uh, in a life-and-death situation. But this wasn't a life-and-death situation. This is somebody just picking up, violating the law, the Sabbath law. Okay, so what they did, they took him, and they brought him to Moses, the deleters, Moses and Aaron. Today what we do, we take a, somebody who violates the law, and they, and they go to the police station, right? And then they get put in jail, right? All right, so let's read this. In verse 34, they put him in custody. They did it even back then. Uh, in verse 33, and those who found him gathering six brought him to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation, verse 34 of Numbers 15, they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. So he had a fair trial. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. And all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. So uh, for us to kill somebody, even in our court system today, they have to go to court. And the evidence has to be there. They have to be proven guilty. And then what happens? They get the death penalty, right? Although it doesn't happen right away, but it, it still the individual does get killed eventually under the death penalty. So this is based on the Bible. They actually took this concept from the Bible they don't do it exactly the way God uh, instructs here, but they do do it, okay? Um, in Deuteronomy chapter um, 35, I was going to read about the rebellious son, the same situation. People would actually stone the rebellious son, okay, a after it's ruled that he's rebellious, so rebellious that nothing can be done, but that's that's another Altogether, I, I just want to say that because if that law was enforced today, it would probably be so many dead sons all over the place, you know. But we don't, we don't implement that, of course. Uh, if there's a rebellious child in this country, what we do, we don't kill him. What we do is call the juvenile delinquent uh, 
department of, of, of police departments, right? And then they, because I, I saw one program of my son had a 15 year old, and he was just bossing his mother around. He would not do a thing that his mother told him to do, and he was real big. He could have hurt his mother. So what does the mother do in that situation? Tolerate it? No. She unfortunately had to call the police. They had to come and handcuff him and put him in jail because he was not willing to do a thing, and I mean nothing, that his mother told him to do. And so that's an extreme case. This, this is this is the um, rebellious son situation. And, of course, they didn't kill him, but they put him in jail. And that's what's to, we have to obey the law of the land today if it doesn't violate God's law. And God states that vengeance is his, okay? And we have to do it his way. And if it's not done his way, then we have to submit to whatever way it is as long as uh, it's not violating God's law uh, to the point of where it's a, it's a direct violation. All right? Um Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35, starting in verse 30. It says, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. Okay? But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. Okay? So there there has to be a trial. That's that's the way it would be set up. In very few cases would would it be right to kill if it's of a life like I said, a life and death situation, yeah, you're gonna have to do it. I mean, there's no choice. And the law even the law of the land here and God's law allows for that. Okay? But in a situation where somebody's breaking a basic law of God and you see in the scriptures, oh we gotta kill him no, not today. I'm going I'm I'm to prove that to you here. I have to show some other scriptures here. Uh, because some laws of God are suspended because we don't have God dwelling with us and everything's not set up and people are not, um, like in John chapter 4, verse 21 to 24, it says we keep the law in spirit and in truth. And that's what we have to do right now. Romans 13. Romans 13. Romans chapter 13. Verse 1 it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So God has set up the authorities today. Okay, that's a direct statement from Paul. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So obviously God is responsible for the systems that are set up today. All right, so right now he's set up a system where it takes him a little more, more time to uh, execute the death penalty. Uh, he set up a system where you don't stone your children if they're so rebellious. Okay, he set that up right now. That's something that we have to obey. Okay, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. But uh, good, not contact conduct, but to bad. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Who would you have no fear? Would, I mean, would you have fear? Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? It says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. 
For he does not bear the sword in vain, and today the swords are guns. Okay? For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So that's why I pay my taxes, even though <laughs> we pay too many, too much taxes. But there's a, there's a scripture in the Sermon on the Mount where it says, hey, that if they take your, your coat, give them, you know, give them your cloak, whatever, too, you know. So we should do all we can to avoid trouble. So that's the reason why I pay my income tax, even though I understand what happened in 1913 with the Federal Reserve and sneakily adding in the income tax law, which, you know, that's another story all itself. But I don't want to go to jail, so I pay my taxes, all right? I don't want to cause trouble upon myself, and, and Paul is alluding to that as well. Um, First Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Then we're going to get the circumcision here. <laughs> I just thought it was very important to bring this out because you know a lot of people don't understand that. You know, they'll say, "Well, this is a contradiction because uh, we're supposed to kill people who don't keep the Sabbath." Well, not according to the scriptures and what they say. If you take them all in the context here, not not now because God's uh, judicial system is not set up yet. He has instead allowed this other system set up that's, uh, that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 13 until everything else is restored. First Peter chapter 2 verse 13 says, Be subject for, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Okay, that's even clear. And this is written by Peter. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. All right? So that's very important. It says live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, as quite a few people do, but living as servants of God, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So it's telling you to uh, be in subjection to your government, which God has set up. That's his will. That's his will. Uh, in Romans 12, verse 19. Romans 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay? And said, to the contrary, this is what you need to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so doing, you will keep heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we need to be practicing. And then Acts 5, verse 27 and 29. Now, and there are exceptions. Acts 5, verse 27 and 29. And when they had brought 
them. They set them before the council. This is for, before the Sanhedrin. This is uh, talking about a time when uh, the uh, apostles were um, they were trying to stop them from preaching about Jesus. So they were brought before the council of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish uh, uh, Jewish court system. And the high priest questioned them, saying, "We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, in, in this name. Yet." Here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And talking about, of course, Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Okay? So in certain situations, even if the government is telling you to do something, if it violates the principles of God, then you shouldn't obey. And they didn't. They continued to preach, regardless of them putting them in jail. And in some cases, uh, God actually... Uh, Miraculously brought an angel to release them from jail so they could continue to preach. So, But see, God's commandment right now is for us to, to obey the government right now. But if the government's telling you that you can't worship him, you can't keep his law, or you telling you to do, then you have to resist it. It's just like Daniel did. Remember? And Daniel, uh, he, um, Nebuchadnezzar told him to stop worshiping the true God, and he said no. And what happened? He threw him in the lion's den, right? And we know what happened, right? So that's an example of when the government gets to the extreme, that's when you have to obey God rather than that. So I hope I've explained that clearly to you, and, and you got to understand that things will be restored, where people will be worshiping the true God. I, I had a lot of scriptures I was going to quote because of lack of time. I can't do it, So, but I'm going to quote a couple here. Malachi chapter 1 is an important scripture. Malachi is the last... Uh, book in your uh, King James Bible uh, in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. States here, from, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. So people will be offering sacrifices to God. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a prophecy. Everyone's going to know who God is in the future because everyone don't know who the true God is right now. And then uh, Malachi 3 is another prophecy, uh, starting at verse 1 to 5. Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, happen spiritually the first time and physically, and it will happen physically and spiritually the second time as well. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like refiner's fire. He wasn't like refiner's fire uh, in the first century like what they're describing here. So it's talking about his second coming, too. And like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He did it in the first century, but he's going to do it again permanently when he comes back. And refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in the righteousness to the Lord. Now, see, what happened during his first coming? Well, the temple was destroyed in AD 70, so you know this is a future prophecy. They will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And in verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow, and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner or the sojourner 
and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So that's a prophecy that is going to be fulfilled in the future. All right. Now let's get to this issue with circumcision in the remaining 34 minutes that I have. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. First Corinthians chapter seven, beginning in verse nine. Is that the right scripture? I don't think it is. Let's see. First Corinthians chapter seven. Nope, let me go find it. Computer's not working. Yes, it is. All right. Let me go find the scripture, and I'll be right back here. Give me about a minute. Here we go. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. I left the one out. says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. All right, so as I explained last week, he's saying that circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't mean anything but the commandments of God. So, And the commandments of God do, does state that a, ma- a boy should be circumcised on the eighth day uh, after his birth. So something's going on here. What he's, he's talking about a different type of circumcision here, and I'm going to prove to you that in this context of Scripture, he's talking about uh, when you're circumcised, you're a Jew, and when you're uncircumcised, you're not a Jew. All right? Um, in Galatians 5, verse 1 to 3. This is a Scripture that many people trip up on, and they think, oh, the, the law has been done away with, and, and it's not. You have to understand what law has been done away with. It's the oral law. The, the the bad things about the old law has been nailed to the cross. Not not the written law, not the law of Moses. Galatians 5, verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That yoke of slavery, when you understand it, is referring to the oral law, the misinterpreted, I mean, the uh, things that were misinterpreted based on the oral law. Okay, that's what he's talking about because I've proven to you in my previous program that the law of God is not burdensome, and I did uh, prove that to you today too. Verse two: Look, I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now you can look at this two ways. Um, one way you can look at this. Uh, let me quote an article that I found on uh, Wikipedia about this uh, about circumcision. And I'm just going to use a little logic uh, because uh, God is logical and uh, we, we need to be logical as well, as well about certain things. Uh, this is um, on Wikipedia. You can just type in circumcision. It says, estimates of the proportion of males that are circumcised worldwide vary from one-sixth to a third. The WHO, World Health Organization, has estimated that 664,500,000 males aged 15 and over are circumcised. 
In the United States, there's an estimate of 75% of males that are circumcised. Okay. So with that backdrop, understanding, let's read this. It says In verse 2, it says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So is he saying that if you get circumcised, then Christ is of no advantage to you? I mean, does that make sense? I mean, <laughs> you got 600 and what? How many? 64 million people that are being circumcised each and every year. So Christ is of no... I mean, <laughs> They don't have Christ, you know, no advantage to you, you know. So obviously he can't be talking about circumcision, the normal type of circumcision that God stated that must be done through Abraham. He's talking about the fact that you accept to become a Jew. That's what he's talking about. And one of the things that Jesus tried to teach his people and also uh, he did teach his disciples is that you don't have to become a Jew to become saved. You don't have to become a Jew uh, to keep the law of God. And that was a big debate. That was the problem. That's why Peter stated in Second Peter chapter 3 that uh, if, you, if you are unlearned and don't understand the Jewish background of the Bible, that's what it means to be unlearned, then you're not going to understand Paul's epistles because Paul was a Pharisee and he was a Jew. And he wrote with a Jewish understanding. And if you don't have that Jewish understanding, you're not going to understand hardly any of his epistles. When he starts talking about you being under the law, uh, uh, you have to keep the whole law, etc. You're not going to understand what he's talking about. What he's talking about uh, when he says you're under the law, you will be under the curses of the law if you disobey the law. That's what he's talking about. When he's talking about circumcision... In particular, when it's in the context of a yoke of slavery, he's talking about you being a Jew. You going through the circumcision ritual that even Jews today have to become a Jew. Uh, going through that ritual to become a Jew, because at that time in the first, they don't teach that now today because they have the Noahide laws today, but the, back then they were teaching that in order for anyone to be saved, they have to become a Jew. Okay, the first verse in, in, in Acts 15, verse 1 says that. Let's turn there. Acts 15, verse 1. And plus, you can check this out with secular sources. Acts 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so that's the first verse there. It's saying that you had to be. Now, it's the custom of Moses. What the law of Moses? The custom, and I went over that last week. Custom means the traditions. And it's talking about the oral law that they believe that God gave Moses and Moses gave to Joshua, etc., which is not proved out of the Bible. That is just not true, that God gave two Torahs. All right, so they're talking about the custom of Moses, which is a, another word for the oral law of Moses, which there's some good things in it, but there's, there's some bad things in it. Okay, and this is one of the bad things in it, that you had to become a Jew to be saved. That's what they were teaching. And Christ said, no, you don't have to become a Jew to be saved. That was the big issue. Okay, so uh, verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision or becomes a Jew that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Now, in this context, the whole law is definitely referring not only to the written law, but also the oral law, because it's talking about becoming a Jew. When you become a Jew, not only do you have to keep the written law, you have to keep the oral law. Okay, and the oral law, and that's what was burdensome in Acts chapter 15, that's a yoke that no one can bear. And I understand because I've read some of the oral law and it's burdensome. 
And God's law is not burdensome. So in this context, he's talking about that. There's another, uh, in James chapter 2, it talks about the whole law. But in that context, it's talking about the whole written law because he gives an example. Let's turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And this is the only other place where this phrase whole law is at in the entire um, New Testament scriptures. I don't know if it's in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the phrase only comes two places in Galatians chapter 5. And it's pretty easy when you understand the context of what I explained to you historically and using the scriptures that he's definitely talking about the entire whole law, meaning the the combination of the written law and the oral law. But in this, it's different. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is a Jewish idiom meaning the entire law of God. Okay, You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, now in this case he's not talking about the oral law, but fails in one point has become accountable for how do I know that? Well, let's go to the next verse here, verse 11. For he who said do not commit adultery, that's in the written law, also said do not murder. That's in the written law. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The context tells you which law is talking about. Just like... The context in Galatians 5, verse 3, tells you what law is talking about, okay? Because that scripture began with a yoke of slavery. But the yoke of slavery has got to be talking about the oral law because there's no yoke of slavery in the written law. So I hope that you understand that. I'm trying to break this down. I can sound scholarly and all intelligent and all that, but the the way to do the preach is to be as clear as possible so that a little child can understand. And I'm trying to break it down so even if you were a little child you would understand this. Even Christ said you must come become as little children. So don't be offended by what I'm telling you, because Christ said that. All right, so um, so I hope you understand. I'm trying to break this down as simple as I can here. Now, uh, I talked about Abraham in John 7, verse 22 last week, that Christ said that circumcision didn't come originate from Moses. It originated from Abraham. John 7, verse 22, and then I read to you the circumcision law last week, Genesis 17, verse 10 to 14. Now, let's go. I've been telling you that circumcision and uncircumcision in a lot of cases in Paul's epistles is referring to Jews versus non-Jews, okay? So let's get scriptural proof of that in these two scriptures here. Uh, in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. Well, actually, no, I was talking about Abraham. Yeah, I think I went over this stuff, didn't I? Let me go over it again. Galatians chapter 3. Yeah, I did. I went over that last week, the fact that we were Abraham's children, and then Romans chapter 4, verse 9 and 11. Let's go there. Romans, I didn't I didn't cover that. Romans chapter 4. And that's, that's when uh, I think his name was Bill. He had called me. Romans 4. I think that's when he called me. I don't know. Romans chapter 4. starting in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. 
How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal. Now, this is what circumcision is, folks. It's a seal of the righteousness. And what is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172 is keeping God's commandments. It's the commandments. As a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So the way to understand is that we know that faith must have works, and you have to understand this in the context of when Paul in most cases, when he's talking about circumcision and uncircumcision, he's talking about being a Jew. If you're circumcised and uncircumcision, he's talking about you not being a Jew. That's the only way to understand that because in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19, it says circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't count for anything but the keeping of the commandments of God. Now, one of the commandments of God says you must be circumcised, okay? But obviously he's talking about the unscriptural that's found in the oral law of having to become a Jew to be saved by a Jewish circumcision that is not authorized by the Bible. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. And let's look at the, the physical and spiritual aspects of circumcision. Galatians chapter 2. And this is a, a direct scripture to prove to you what I've been telling you about the interpretation of circumcision and uncircumcision in Paul's epistles. Uh, Galatians, uh, and it's interesting that he includes this in Galatians, and yet people get tripped up on uh, understanding Galatians, you know. Anyway, Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. It says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. Okay. Just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Okay, so right there, that... Okay, let me read the rest of this. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, they were pillars of, of the assembly at that time, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All right? So that's right there. That one scripture tells you, without a doubt, that in most cases, Paul is talking about Jews versus non-Jews. When he's talking about circumcision or the circumcised, he's talking about being a Jew. And uncircumcised, he's talking about being a Gentile. Okay. Uh, and then Romans 2, verse 28 to 29, which is a very powerful scripture in light of what we're talking about here. Romans 2, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. So that wasn't the intent of, of uh, circumcision. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the mind, by the spirit, not by the letter. Okay? So circumcision is a spiritual, the physical act, 
points to a spiritual lesson that we all need to learn. Um, Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Starting in verse uh, 25. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. I just named to you, well, let me go back to this article again. This is a prophecy, and these are the people that are circumcised of the flesh. It says, um, it says the WHO has estimated 664,500,000 males aged 15 over circumcised, 30% of global prevalence, with almost 70% of those being Muslim. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, circumcision is most prevalent in the Muslim world, parts of Southeast Africa, Southeast Asia, Africa, and the United States, the Philippines, Israel, and South Korea. It is relatively rare in Europe, Latin America, parts of Southern Africa, and most of Asia, and Oceania. Okay, so let's go back to this prophecy. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophet. Uh, verse 25, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and that's in Jordan. Edom's of uh, the, the country of Turkey, and in another case it can mean all nations, but in this case when it's uh, with all these other nations, talking about Turkey, uh, Judah and Egypt, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of, the, of, of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. And that's what he's concerned about, okay? Um, Romans, I already read that. Um, now, the circumcision of Christ, that's what I don't think ministers, they, they think that circumcision, baptism represents circumcision, and it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, 1 John 2, verse 6, uh, it does, so I'm not going to have you turn there, but it states that we must follow in his footsteps. Hebrews 13, verse 8, you can read that for yourself. It states that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? Ephesians 5, verse 1 says we must imitate God, and Christ really is an example of how God would act. Luke 2, verse 21 states plainly. Let's turn there. We're going to turn there. Luke 2, verse 21. Write these scriptures down. Don't believe me because I say it. Luke 2, verse 21. Now remember, it says we must follow in his footsteps. He's an example, right? Luke 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So if you call yourself a believer in Christ and you believe what he stated, that you must follow his example, then if you are a man right now and you're not circumcised, you better get circumcised because Christ did. And Christ obeyed the law of God. And he, they were fully aware of what God expected them to do, Mary and Joseph. And they circumcised him on the eighth day according to the commandment. And if you're not circumcised, you're not following his example. That alone should tell you should be circumcised. So anyway, uh, Colossians 2, verse 11. Colossians 2, verse 11. And him also, now see, his circumcision wasn't because he was a Jew. He was already a Jew. <laughs> 
his circumcision was because he was obeying the law of God. He didn't get circumcised to become a Jew because he was already a Jew. Anyway, uh, Colossians 2, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. All right, so it's like a, a, when you get immersed, you're cleansed, okay? But baptism hasn't replaced, hasn't replaced being circumcised. The reason why I say that, that Christ, he was circumcised, right? But he was also immersed, right? <laughs> so you have to get circumcised and also be immersed, just like he was. Uh, baptism did not replace the requirement to be circumcised. And again, proof of that is Christ's own example. Through his parents' obedience of the law of Moses, which is the law of God. Okay. And then Romans 8, verse 9. Romans 8, verse 9. says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the Spirit of God is related to the Spirit of Christ. They go hand in hand, based on this scripture. Okay? Um... But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead, because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And let me just quote this one, too, because we are all naturally, we don't want to obey God. Okay, Romans 8, verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so we all have a tendency not to want to obey him. Circumcision represents the fat of the on the penis to be cut off, okay, so that we can obey God, okay. So it's kind of symbolic of that. Galatians four verse six. says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So the spirit that we receive is the spirit of Jesus into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And that's what Bible is studying itself to understand that phrase. But, uh, and then Philippians 1, verse 19, I'm quoting these scriptures so you understand what the Holy Spirit is, because a lot of people don't understand what the Holy Spirit is. And the scriptures plainly reveal to you what the Spirit is. It's the Spirit of His Son. Philippians, the Spirit of the Messiah. Come on, Philippians, where are you? Philemon. Right, I'm trying to find it here. There we go. Philippians chapter Okay, I lost my place. Philippians one verse nineteen. Says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Okay? 
so the Holy Spirit and the, and and Jesus Spirit is similar. All right, uh, Deuteronomy ten verse sixteen. I was going to quote, and I don't think I have enough time. Well, yeah, I guess I do. Deuteronomy ten verse sixteen. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. It says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Okay? So uh, it's bringing out the spiritual application of what physical circumcision represents. And that's important to understand. And then Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 16. I don't think I'm going to read all of it. I'm just going to read up to the point where it talks about circumcision. Where is it here? Okay, yeah. And verse 1, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And he will gather you again from the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of, the, of heaven from there the Lord God will gather you, and from there he will take you, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Okay, so again, circumcision is in the context of obedience. And then Jeremiah 4, verse 4. Yeah, nine two zero four one nine eight nine two zero. I'm getting ready to. I'm trying to <laughs> get through with uh, this Bible study. And could you email your question uh, to Canard at MercifulServanceOfGod.com, and I'll be glad to answer it. Okay. I appreciate your interest, though. Jeremiah, four verse four. Jeremiah 4, verse 4, it states, uh, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. That's what that represents, your foreskin, male foreskin. You know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, he's telling us to, to, to remove the foreskin of our hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, that not my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So the foreskin represents sin, and we have to remove it. Okay. Now, baptism does not take the place of the physical circumcision required by God. And Paul is stating that you don't have to become circumcised to become a Jew to be saved. Now, let's understand in the remaining seven minutes, and yeah, seven is a number completion. Good. Uh, the remaining seven minutes, what is the law of Moses? Because people get confused by that. They think the law of Moses is some separate aberration somewhere from outer space from the Bible, and it's not and from God's will. So let's turn to 1 Kings. Let's get a definition of what the law of Moses is from the Bible. 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Chapter 2, verse 3. First Kings two verse three. It says, um, "Keep okay." 
Verse 1, let's start with verse 1. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And how do we show ourselves to be men, men? Well, here we go. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes and his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Okay, I hope you heard me clearly here. The law of Moses is defined as the statutes, the commandments, the rules, and testimonies as found and in written in the law of Moses. And David told Solomon to do that. So the law of Moses contains the law of God. It's not any different. The reason why it's called, I'm going to prove this to you in a minute, the reason why it's proved, uh, proved, um, called the law of Moses. Not because law uh, Moses wrote a separate law from uh, that's different from God's law. Uh, Nehemiah. Chapter 8, got four minutes left, try to finish this up here. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1 to 3. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it. From it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, and in the presence of the men and women, and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So the the, the, the law of Moses is called the book of the law. All right? And, and verse 8 to 9, they read from the book from the law of God. Okay? So it's called the law of God. Clearly, and, get, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was a governor in Ezra, the priests and scribes and Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So, so far the law of Moses is called the law of Moses. It's called the book of the law. It's called the law of God. All right? And these passages of Scripture here. And then verse 14 uh, should be uh, the slam dunk here. And they found... It written in, in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months. So it's called the law of Moses because God used Moses to to uh, bring the law to the people. That's why it's called the law of Moses. And then verse 18, And day by day from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. On the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rules. So, the book of the law of God is the book of Moses. There's no difference between the two. It's called the book of Moses because God used Moses to give the law to the people. Okay, so whenever you see the law of Moses, it's not talking about a separate law from the law of God. That's a big deception that's been taught, and unfortunately a lot of people have been deceived by it. 
All right, and Malachi chapter 4, which uh, you'll hear again in audio form at the end, but I'd like to close with this. Malachi chapter 4, and the remaining two minutes that I have, says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. And that day hasn't come yet, but it's coming. That day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, and they won't live again. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his rings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet. Obviously, this is talking about a future prophecy. This has not happened yet. On that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Hor for all of Israel, which David commanded to Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3. All right, and he states here, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their father. That night I come and strike the land. That, that word land should be translated earth with a degree of utter destruction. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is very serious. Uh, when I just quoted you that in the context of hellfire, God is telling us to obey the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him and whore for all of Israel. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and for those who think, oh, that's Old Testament, read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says the, the, the people, the example of Israel is our example today. All right, so I appreciate uh, those listening to me here, and God willing, I'll be here next week to talk to you again. May God bless and keep you, and I think I'm going to focus on uh, what's going on in the world right now as far as Egypt and the Middle East and, and so forth. Uh, we need to catch up on uh, what God says is going to happen here in the next few years. May God bless and keep you, and I'll be with you, God willing, next week. Malachi chapter 4 For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.